let's, let's just pray. Um, we'll pray for the children. We'll pray for ourselves as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the children. Uh, we thank you for the blessing which they are. And we just pray for them as they go out to their classes. We pray that they might uh, come to know and grow in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus, that they might put their trust in him, that you would hold them fast, and indeed that they would be fruitful, vine, fruitful branches connected to the vine, the Lord Jesus, and bear much fruit for him in their lives. We pray for ourselves, please, as we come to your word now. Teach us, encourage us, soften our hearts that we might hear and receive what you say in your word by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, like I said at the beginning, I thought we would be, begin a, a new sermon series in, in John's gospel. Um, I've been refreshed, uh, or at least in the opening chapters of John's gospel. I've been refreshed in those uh, chapters recently myself and my own devotions, and I hope that as we share them together that they'll be refreshing uh, to you too. Towards the end of John's gospel, John tells us his purpose for writing. These, these may be familiar verses to you. John 20, 30 to 31. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of, the, of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In other words, John is writing for us not just as a historian or a theologian, but not less than those things, but also as an evangelist and as a pastor. In other words, he's writing with us and our belief in mind. So if you're looking into the Christian faith from the outside and exploring it and thinking about it, John writes his gospel to persuade you, to persuade you to believe in Jesus. And he's very, very open about that. Like a good lawyer, he wants to present you with facts and evidence, with testimony about him, that you might believe in him. Or if we are believers, perhaps we've been maybe believers just for just a few months, or even if we've been believers for decades, John wants to establish us in our belief in Jesus. You think of a good builder wanting to reinforce walls. That is what John wants to do for us, to reinforce the walls of our faith, making them strong and stable and able to withstand pressure and doubts and challenges. So John wants to foster belief in Jesus. And he wants that because he wants us to have life in his name. Again, verse 31, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wants us to have life. I think sometimes people think that the Christian faith, it's all about restricting and inhibiting and curtailing life. Well, actually, John says the opposite is true. John wants, to wants us to have life, life to the full now, John 10, 10, as we believe and follow Jesus through this life, and life beyond the grave in the age to come, resurrection life. So just as we come to the first few chapters of John's gospel, these are the, the, big, the big themes, the themes to look out for. Jesus himself, the Messiah, the Son of God, who he is, what he's like. Uh, belief in him, what that looks like and what that means for us. And life in his name, which he gives freely to all who believe in him. 
But as we begin in these first verses of the gospel, John takes his time to introduce us to the Lord Jesus. And we have here in these verses, if you like, the opening scene of an epic drama. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Uh, the setting for this scene is the beginning. Not the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Galilee, or the beginning of Jesus' earthly life in Bethlehem, but the beginning, the beginning of everything. So John takes us back to a time when there was nothing, when there was no people, and no planets, no light or sign, no molecules or anything before any of that to the beginning. And he introduces us to the star of the story. In the beginning was the Word. Before anything was made, before anything existed, He was there, having always existed. The Word. Now, we know from verse 17 that John is speaking here about uh, the eternal Son of God, Jesus before he became a man, if you like. But for John's material and message to, to, to really get a hold of us and to work on us, we just got to suspend that knowledge for a moment and let John introduce this character to us at his pace because he's got plenty to tell us. What do we find out about the Word, the star of the story? Well, firstly, we're told about his identity. We're told that the Word was with God. Uh, so in this drama so far, there are two distinct characters. The Word, who is alongside and beside and next to and with God. But then we're told that this Word was God. So in one sense, two distinct characters, yet in another sense, just one character because this word is inseparable from God, united to God, one with him in nature. And you say, look, Phil, my head's hurting here. Give us an illustration of what this is. But really, there is no illustration that could adequately describe and illustrate the, this relationship between the word and God, with God, and yet also was God. Of course, we have here what is just one of many, many references in the scriptures to what theologians call Trinity. Uh, one God in, uh, one God, three persons, three persons in one God. But then what about his name, the Word? What does that tell us about him? Well, it tells us that this character speaks and communicates and discloses. Note that he's not called the silence, like someone in a police interview keeping their mouth shut, hiding what they know, not the silence, not the whisper, like two friends in a coffee shop keeping their voices down low so that no one else can hear. No, the word, because he's not into hiding or keeping secrets, but is about communicating and sharing openly and disclosing and revealing. And as we'll see in coming weeks, he's, his aim is to make God known. His name, the Word. Well, what about his, his work? Well, verse 3. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. 
we ask this character, the word, about his employment history. What have you done in your working life that's, you know, particularly special? And he says, well, God made the universe through me. And we say, sorry? He says, God made the universe through me. I was his agent. And we say, okay, right, well, I mean, like, what, what, what kind of stuff? What, what, what? He says, literally everything. There's nothing in this universe that has been made that I didn't make. I made all of it. We've got loads of Lego uh, like this floating around our house everywhere. Um, how, do you, how do you know that these little plastic bricks have been made by Lego uh, and not some other alternative brand? Well, when you look closely enough, uh, you can see the word Lego embossed on it at multiple points. It's a trademark. Now, the word, uh, excuse me, the word, this character that we've been learning about, isn't into trademarks. But if he were, you would find his letters, T-W, the word, on every single molecule, on every single atom, every person, every animal, everything in this entire cosmos, because through him, they were all made. But it's not just stuff that he made, but life itself. John goes on to tell us that this word is the source of all human life. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. I think here in John 1, light and life here are, if you like, two sides of the same coin. You think, how did God breathe life into the universe? Well, by speaking, and what did he say? Let there be light. Light and life here in these first few verses, they go together, two sides of the same coin. Uh, where do they come from? What, what, what's their source? If you like, what makes this universe not just an empty shell of a building, an infrastructure, but a living, breathing, moving organ, bursting with life at its seams? What makes the universe that way? the Word. In Him, the Word was life, the light of all mankind. He is the one to whom all of us owe our existence. So, what have we seen so far about our character? Well, before anything was made, He was there, having always existed. We've seen that He's the Word, not the silence, not the whisper, but the Word, revealing, communicating, disclosing, making known. We've seen that he was both with God and was God, God's agent in creation, making everything and the source of all life. And I think, therefore, it's just worth us pausing and asking our, ourselves, do we see Jesus like this? Do we see Jesus as John sees Jesus? Or, or is our view of Jesus a bit more domesticated maybe a, a bit tackier, perhaps? Are we influenced too much by how the world sees Jesus? Of course, the world sees Jesus as, as a good man and as a, as a good teacher and, a, and as, a, as a good example and a prophet, perhaps. And of course, those things are true. But if that's as far as our thinking goes on him, 
then we haven't just got Jesus a little bit wrong. We've actually put him in, a, in, in the wrong category altogether. Think of it this way. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo, he's one of the greatest footballers in the world. Um, imagine he were to come to Antrim and to offer to, to, to play on a, on a local pub football team um, for, for the guys there. The manager doesn't reckon, recognize him, though. And so in the huddle before the game, the manager says, look, boys, um, we've, got, we've got someone new here um, this evening playing for us, um, Christian Ronald. Isn't that right, Christian Ronald? Christian Ronald. Um, Christian, look, we, we, we're going um, to put you on the bench. Um, we're going to bring you on probably with about 10 minutes to go. And when, look, when, when you come on, just relax. Just, just, just don't worry. Look, if you make some mistakes, it's fine. The guys are forgiving. What kind of mistake has that manager made? He hasn't just got a little bit confused about which Premier League team Ronaldo plays for. He hasn't got a little bit confused about what Ronaldo's best position on the field is. Now, he's made a gross category error. He has fundamentally misunderstood him. And in a similar way, when we think, as the world thinks, of Jesus as, as a good guy, or as a really good example, or as an inspiring teacher, we make a gross category error. We fundamentally misunderstand him. Because John wants us not just to listen to Jesus, but to worship him. Not just to like his style, but to love him deeply as the eternal son of God. Not just, just to be a, just kind of a bit impressed by him, but to have our minds blown by who he is. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through him, in him was life. And the question for us that John poses is, do we see Jesus as John sees Jesus? But then we move into scene two of this epic drama. And we move from the beginning and from eternity past to the Middle East, about AD 30. And we're introduced to a man sent from God called John, not John the Gospel writer, but John the Baptist. And his presence is very, very significant because his being there means that something extraordinary is about to happen. Uh, because this man, though, he, though he's not the Word or the light, he is a witness to the light, pointing to the light which was about to come. I used to work in London, um, and it was quite fun because every so often in London, you would, you'd get uh, world leaders pass through to the city, perhaps to, to see the prime minister or something like that. The uh, problem is that in, in London, the average speed of traffic is eight miles an hour. Um, so how do you get you know, a world leader through the city safely without being ambushed when there's so much traffic and everything goes so slowly? Well, the answer is London City Police. Uh, they uh, uh, transport them through. And what happens was uh, you'd have these police motorbikes that would be uh, sent up ahead, uh, and they would up ahead of the motorcade, and they would stop whole junctions for one or two minutes, and traffic would just pile up, and, but nothing would happen. Um, and when that happened, there was always just that heightened sense of anticipation. 
You're thinking, who's coming this time? Who is it? Who's it going to be? Even as a pedestrian, you just, you, just, you just stand and you watch and you wait. Who's coming? I wonder who it is. And then the motorcade of some world leader would whiz through. Well, John the Baptist is like one of those police outriders. He goes before. He is a witness to the light. It's as if he says, stay where you are, don't move, don't miss this, because something extraordinary is about to happen. I think verse 9 is one of the most exciting verses in this drama. With John having been a witness and paved the way and prepared the way, we're told, verse 9, the true light the light that gives light, excuse me, the true light that gives light to everyone, the word who was with God, who was God, was coming into the world. This is surely the biggest moment in the history of humanity, as the eternal God himself is about to be revealed to the world. How is the world going to respond to him? How are these creatures going to thank their creator What are they going to do for the one to whom they owe their existence? Well, the excitement of verse 9 is matched only by the shock of verses 10 and 11. He was in the world, and here's the shock. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. It's extraordinary, isn't it? The day that God was revealed, the papers didn't even mention it. People didn't even look up from their work. They neither recognized him nor received him, not even his own people. The Washington Post paper did a social experiment a number of years back, and they, they brought in a professional violinist called Josh Bell, and they say that he's considered to be one of the the, the greatest uh, classical musicians in America. Uh, to go to one of his concerts, it's $100. Anyway, they got Josh Bell, they put him in jeans and a baseball cap and sent him to an underground station uh, to busk and would just watch to see what would happen. And he starts to play, and it's the most exquisite music. And the music just fills this hall. The first person walks into the hall and just walks straight past. Just doesn't blink, doesn't move, nothing. Just keeps walking. A second person walks in, again, just straight path, no acknowledgement, no recognition, nothing. And so it continued, person after person after person. Some people walking past him on their phones trying to block out the noise (laughs) that he's making, this beautiful music. He played for three quarters of an hour. They counted over a thousand people heard him play, and only seven uh, stopped to listen to him for more than a minute. That's pretty shocking, isn't it? But really, it's nothing next to the world's rejection of the word. I guess you could make excuses for some of those commuters in Washington. Um, The guy was disguised. He was deliberately trying to hide himself. No one had told them that this was going to happen. But with the Word, not only is the Word far greater than any musician, he openly revealed his identity. 
God had John sent ahead of him to, to prepare everybody. And yet, the world didn't recognize him. They didn't want to know. And I think for us, I think it's just good for us to just to, to sit back and just to feel the shock of that. You know, in one sense, we, we, we shouldn't be surprised by it. Um, I think we're well used to the fact that as believers, we're in the minority, and we're realistic about that, or at least we ought to be. We shouldn't be surprised that not everyone believes in Jesus, but we should be shocked. We should be taken back, troubled. We should be thinking, Look, what's, what's wrong with the world that when its creator comes to visit, it doesn't recognize him and doesn't want to know him? Shocked, conscious, of course, that at one point that was us too. We're to feel the shock of these verses. But if verses 10 and 11 are shocking verses, verses 12 and 13, I think, are deeply, deeply precious verses. And I just want to spend the final minute on these verses, verses 12 and 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. I wonder if you've ever received an outrageously generous gift, you know, a gift that is just out of all proportion for what you've done for someone. You know, imagine you hold the door open for someone, and they, in response, write you into their will. It would never happen. Or you just greet someone, and you say something nice to them. You just say, hello, and how are you doing? And, and they turn around, and they give you a million pounds. It would never happen. Of course it wouldn't. But I think that's what's going on here. An outrageously generous gift out of all proportion to what someone has done. What's the gift that God the Son gives to those who simply do what they ought, who simply receive Him, who simply believe in His name, who simply accept that, yes, you're the Creator, you're the one through whom all things were made. What does He do for them? What does He give them? Well, we're told here, He gives them the right to become children of God which is just the most extraordinary gift. Uh, not speaking so much here in these verses of adoption into God's family, though that's absolutely true, but in these verses speaking of being born again, of being given new life with God as our Father, to be His children. One person has put it this way, that to have God as our Father, that is the fountain privilege of any Christian. And I think the call on us here is to feel the extraordinary privilege, the blessing which is so undeserved that we might be called children of God. You know, if we held the door open and were written into someone's will, we would be gobsmacked. Well, how much more us having been given the right to become children of God through the Word who became flesh and brought this wonderful gift with Him to give to us who simply accept him and believe in his name and recognize him. Let's just pause for, for a moment there to reflect on the word become flesh, the eternal son of God,
who he is, what he's done in bringing this gift to us. Let's just pause for a moment and then I'll lead us in prayer.